survival, healing, fighting back, finding your voice. Those are some of the few things that were touched on during an incredible conversation with Michelle England on the subject of redefining adversity, which is exactly what she had to do in order to overcome the obstacles present in both her childhood as well as adulthood. Challenges will come. It rains on both the just and the unjust. But as you'll hear from Marcel, not only can we turn L's into lessons, but we can take our trials and use them as tools to make a difference in our lives and the lives of other people. Welcome to Blended. I am your host, Jeremiah Wallace, and my goal is to see blended families thriving. If you are navigating this experience, then you're in the right place. This podcast is purposed to provide support, information, and the encouragement that we need to fulfill our family's potential. Hello, Blenders. I hope you guys are doing well. We have a really good episode in store today. I have with me Marcel England, a.k.a. my mom. Hey, mom, how you doing? absolutely wonderful good good to hear um and what we're talking about today is redefining adversity and i thought that my mom was the perfect subject for the subject matter um when i come to think about adversity generally we think of something negative we think of turmoil we think of difficult circumstances And the result of those circumstances tends to be negative. So as far as our outcomes and what we experience in our lives, if our lives are full of adversity, that must mean that the outcome and what our life looks like is is pretty tattered or challenged. But when I look at the life of my mother, Marcel, I I see a woman who's thriving, happy, purpose filled um, and has a joy that doesn't really make sense. To be honest, considering the little bit of information that I have concerning what she's she's experienced in her life, to be honest. So I I wanted to bring her on so that she can relay some of her experience as well as provide some some insight as well as inspiration for for those that may be going through circumstances that may be considered adverse. So I'm glad you're here. Very happy to be here. Very happy to have this conversation. And one last thing I wanted to say before we hop in. Uh, this is, you guys are essentially sitting in on a pretty regular conversation. Like, just, we typically talk concerning the deep things, and we enjoy those conversations. Would you agree? Tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. So, as we hop in, I wanted you to start by briefly describing your background and your family and what that consisted of growing up. Okay, so I don't really recall the early years of my childhood due to an eight-year memory loss from the ages of four to 12 um, due to traumatic occurrence at each of those ages. What I do remember is um, I was raised by my mom, single-parent home. I am one of 15 children that I know of. Busy. I'm the th- exactly. <laughs> I am actually the third in line and the oldest daughter. Um, currently, there are nine younger siblings surviving today. And regarding my childhood, typically you hear of being in homes, whereas you're seen and not heard. But in the home that I grew up in, I was more so not seen and not heard and whatever happened in the house stayed in the house as the oldest girl in the family i a lot of the co-parenting responsibility of the younger siblings fell on me although i did have two older brothers who were allowed to go out and live their life do sports and do activities outside of the home Mm -hmm. and even have friends um I was 14 or 15 years old when I met my father for the first time. We had moved from Mississippi, where I grew up, to Chicago. And he lived in Indiana. So he came over and he started visiting us. And within a couple of weeks, and school had just started, 
in September, within a couple of weeks, he made the announcement that he and my mother, well, my mom and him, made the announcement to us that they were getting back together and we would be moving from Chicago to Indiana. And unfortunately, within three or four years of us moving there, before I actually graduated from high school, my mom passed away um, at home of a brain tumor. But in those three or four years, there were two additions added to the family, my younger brother, Christopher, and my younger sister, Willette. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is the makeup. And again, that happened at what age as far as your mom and dad getting back together? 13 or 14. 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and what transpired after uh, your mom passed away after the brain tumor or as a result of? Well... After mom passed away, within about nine months, my dad decided that he was going to take the younger two siblings and move them to a different part of Indiana. We were in Gary, Indiana, and he already, unbeknownst to us, he already had a whole clan, a whole another family with another woman, yeah. 10 plus children, um, in Rosa, Indiana, and he took Christopher, the younger brother, and Willette, the younger sister, with him. And how I found out, it was so horrible. So I've already graduated from high school, and I'm at home preparing meals for everyone else to get out of school and to come home. Mm-hmm. Well, 2 o'clock passed by, 2.30, which about 2.45, everyone should be coming in. No one comes to the door. So 3 o'clock comes by, 3.30, 4 o'clock, and 4.30, and it's like, okay, what's going on? Our next-door neighbor who had pretty much adopted us and was like a grandmother to us, I went over and asked her, did she know of anything that was happening? And it was at that time that I found out that... What happened, CPS went to my younger sibling's school, and each of them were taken, and they were put in the system. My sister Carla ended up going to a foster home. Um, My sister Regina and Linda ended up being together, and my brothers, Frankie and AJ, ended up being together in three Mm -hmm. separate foster homes. So I was like there in the home by myself, 19 years old, didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, again, you said from the age of four to 12, not much of a memory. Not Um, much of a memory. And then from there, assuming the role of mom uh, to a degree um, Mm -hmm. and being motherly for the younger siblings. Mm -hmm. And then from that point at 19, you found out that your siblings were ending up in foster care as Mm -hmm. a result of CPS. So, Mm I told that's a lot. So at 19 in that moment, what what do you think? Like what is your response? How am I going to survive? What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. All I know is my mother had died almost a year before. I was now on my own and no one gave me any notice. Dad didn't give me any notice no. or anyone else gave me any notice. No police coming to the house or anything. So for several months, um or initially, let me back up just a couple of moments. I actually called our aunt in Chicago, who we stayed with when we moved from Mississippi to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And she delayed coming to get me. And I was pretty much on the streets. I was living with a couple of friends here, a couple of friends there. Mm-hmm. It was about a month had passed by and before she even came to, to get me. Yeah. So, And some of those times I would put let's just say I was put in very compromising situations where, you know, I thank God today that I'm still here because I could not be. There's so many girls that see on the news, know about even personally, who are no longer here because of some of the similar situations that I was in. Yeah. But it was a means of survival. Yeah. Um, So what, at what point did you kind of come into agreement with just this idea of what you were experiencing was just like really challenging like up to this point like what you are going through is maybe like irregular and it's compromising for you like because of the way that i was raised the whole my whole home life 
<clears throat> was dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. But dysfunctional to me someone looking from the outside in could obviously see what was dysfunctional but because i adapted to my environment it was normal yeah so to go from one tragic thing to the next to the next to the next it's like okay i'm just in survival mode yeah there was no it took me later on in life to really realize how dysfunctional it was and to identify certain years and months that there was a lot of transitioning there, a lot of adversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there are a lot of people that have the same or a similar experience as far as the adaptation to adversity. Mm-hmm. Like when it literally is what you've known up to a certain point. And you just kind of become a a chameleon. Obviously, there is the building up of resilience and callous. And sometimes those are deemed, you know, profitable characteristics. Or Mm -hmm. we tend to celebrate people as a result. But when we're young, that's not something that we should necessarily be cheered on for adapting. Right. And using the word chameleon is really specific because this started when I was four. Yeah. What happened when I was four, my I remember my and it's the first memory that I have, my grandmother, my mother's mom passed. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were in a house and I was standing at the gate and I saw the my mother and a couple of the relatives leaving in the black limousine to go and bury her. Yeah. And I remember being at the gate, holding on to the gate for dear life. And it was like an iron gate. Mm-hmm. And I'm holding on to it to the point where my fingers are getting bruised. And the reason that I was holding on to the iron gate, my grandmother was my protector. Yeah. I was abused. I was molested as a child. And when that car drove off, the abuse continued. Mm-hmm. And that abuse actually continued. And that is the explanation for the the eight-year memory block. And I remember, I will never forget the moment when it all came to the surface. The memory started surfacing. Yeah. I was married. Um, I was only married maybe two years to my ex-husband, your dad, and we were playing around and he grabbed me in a way, playfully, and when he grabbed me, I totally freaked out. I freaked out, I ran in the bathroom, and I closed the door, and I remember standing in front of the mirror, and I remember seeing all these images flashing the memories just started coming back, started flooding of what had happened. And it was after that that I actually made a couple calls to my aunt in Chicago and I started calling my dad and I was asking them questions. What was I like as a child? What was my childhood like? What was my personality like? What type of child was I? Were there anything, is there anything that happened in my life that you know about that I should know about and uh, both of their responses were well the past is in the past leave the past in the past so although I had those answers because I had been praying Mm -hmm. to God what happened something happened and I just didn't know so at the age of four it was of my grandmother and then at the age of 12 there was more abuse yeah so this happened two years into marriage. That stuff starts flooding back. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember? I know you mentioned your grandma just now, but were there any other, whether peer or adult relationships that you had that were that had quality, that had a foundation, that were healthy or could be considered healthy at all? Growing yes, up? my father, who wasn't living in Mississippi with us, he had several brothers in Mississippi who were of course my uncles Mm -hmm. and they were very and they unfortunately died early on of diseases diabetes and cancer and all of that but for the brief moments that they were in my life they were protectors yeah so and it was healthy it was my first introduction to an older male to a younger female relationship yeah um and again they operated as a protector was there any other benefit you feel you gained from having those relationships, um, having them present in your life, or 
anything that you can kind of point to that may have served you? Not enough to say that I held on to it because the next tragic thing that happened kind of overshadowed all of that. Yeah. Because the protector was, those protectors were no longer there. Yeah. So it was always a, a fight or flight type of thing. It was always survival mode. It was always accepting the abnormal as normal, yeah. which is, like I said, didn't find out that it was totally dysfunctional until later on in life. I mean, much later in life. Yeah. After marriage, after children. So, well, just a constant holding on and letting go. Mm-hmm. So there was no... Mm-hmm. real long-term consistent um, relationship, strong relationship that you had throughout childhood growing up? No. I wouldn't, I would say no to that, but I will say when I was in school, there were teachers mm-hmm. who saw beyond the little girl and saw something that was so positive. Yeah. And there, I remember two and three teachers who would assign me to do, I excelled in school. Yeah. They would assign me to do extra activities, extra privilege over other children or, or whatever. Um, but they saw a spark and they kept, every time I went to school, I loved going to school because I had someone in school who would say something positive. Yeah. I didn't receive any type of encouragement or any building up type of thing yeah. in the home, yeah. but I did get it at school. That's awesome. You're you're going to be you're going to be great one day. Yeah. Never heard that in the home. As a matter of fact, growing up in the home, we would. I don't recall saying I love you to my mom or my mother saying I love you to me. Yeah. It was not something that was norm or even in our family, just a whole family tree, even to this day. Um, it's a little easier now as adults to say, I love you. Yeah. But as children, it's not something that we constantly said because also then with the abuse, love was abusive. So, of course, you wouldn't say, I love you yeah. and then abuse. So, yeah. It's super confusing. Um, and as far mm-hmm. as like this being essentially like a blended family situation, I know blended seems like a band-aid terms at times because really like your situation was again it was it was chaotic um and there were a ton of challenges you found out your dad has a an entirely different family mm-hmm. of 10 oh my gosh that man has multiplied <laughs> and filled the earth <laughs> my guy is just fulfilling the call in genesis um, <laughs> but um i mean it's Sure, it's it's blended, but at the same time, it's just like it was in the midst of the blender for sure. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, when you found out that he has this other family, like, what is your, what's your initial response? Is it again a holding on and letting go thing, or was resentment? Okay. Well, one of the things, um, one of the major things, was he came into my life, and uh, when I was in going into high school. Um, 14, right? Yeah, 14 in high school, freshman in high school. And a couple of years after that, the only parent that I knew is gone. Mm -hmm. And my mother um, died because of a brain tumor. When she was pregnant with the last child, our baby sister, well, actually with Christopher, she was told not to have another child. But she ended up having another child, and she had health issues on top of that, which back then, children did not know what their parents' health issues were. Yeah. But there were definitely some health issues before she passed. She was in and out of the hospital for about two, two and a half, almost three weeks, just back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And right before my aunt in Chicago was about to have her transported to Illinois mm-hmm. for a better treatment, she ended up going into a coma. But, um, so she had another child, and then after she had the child, two weeks after that, she was at home, and she passed away. She kind of passed out on the bed, and um, we had to call the ambulance and all of this, and then they took her and whatnot. So I had only known my father for less than four years four or five years, yeah. and then this happened. So he took the only parent away from me that I 
knew. And then he kind of had the audacity to, I respect my father, but he had the audacity because his position was as father. There should have been a respect that came with that. But it was kind of hard to respect him without a relationship. Yeah. I didn't know him. Yeah. It was like he's a man on the, the street. So I don't know you. You are completely different stranger and there was no investment on his part to um, build a relationship and then after our mother passed he went back to the woman that he had the the clan with in Indiana yeah so yeah it's kind of it's a, a struggle yeah yeah absolutely that'd be very difficult for anybody to wrap their head around um, and was there pursuit you just mentioned there was there wasn't much effort on his end to establish a relationship, but on your end, what were you hoping for? I wasn't. I was never one of those kids who sat around and was like, you know, my dad's not in my life. I wonder what he's like, what mm-hmm. he's doing. He was just an absent parent. My mother was um, mother and father. And I know that's contrary to how a lot of people... Um, want to believe but she was the parent whatever we were lacking she wasn't perfect but whatever we were lacking she made sure that that void didn't get too big and it never got that big it wasn't until later in life that I would actually see other people have healthy relationships with their fathers that I get a slight glimpse of what I may have missed out on but at the same token, even to this day, I have to say, well, he's still alive. Mm-hmm. And as a, a daughter, I don't really feel as if it's my responsibility to always do the reaching out. There no. was a period of time where I was, but I don't feel as if that's my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's another area of adversity that I've had yeah. to adjust to. But a freeing moment in my life was um, I remember a conversation that I had with him and it kind of changed the trajectory of our relationship being the older daughter he put a lot of responsibility on me to make sure that I kind of kept the younger siblings um, on talking levels we would get together and all of that so for a certain period of time we used to have family get togethers Myself and you know, Linda, Auntie Linda. Well, when you um, guys got older, right? Yes, uh huh. Yeah. When we got older, we would have the get togethers, but all of the financial responsibility, the reaching out, and it fell on Linda and myself. And when we would put it out there for other people, hey, why don't you host this month or we could get together? This is what I'm bringing, this is what I'm bringing. Mm-hmm. You, you do it. No one else wanted to do it. Yeah. And when we stopped doing it, and our father was always invited to all of them, he would show up. And when we stopped doing those, my, I remember a conversation that I had with him. And he was complaining about how we don't get together. And I remember respectfully telling him, you know, we have a parent who's still alive. Yeah. I don't feel as if that's my responsibility to do that. Yeah. I have my own children and a husband. Yeah. And when I first got married, everyone in the family, all of my siblings except one, seven siblings, actually lived with us because I had to help them out at one period of time or another. And not that that was the catalyst for whatever happened in my marriage and it ended in divorce. I'm sure it was a factor because being a newly married person who has, at that time, it was only your sister. And then all of a sudden, there's like five additional grown people in a two-bedroom apartment in San Diego, California, trying to make it work. Yeah. These are factors. Yeah, Yeah, things to consider. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this is going to be this conversation is going to be full of like seven different episodes for sure. (laughs) Uh, That's a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. But um, but no, it's it's, so as you mentioned, like not that it's something that you're straining over, but like this stuff continues. Like this, Mm -hmm. um, there isn't the beautiful and perfect landing concerning all that you've experienced Mm -hmm. and the 
complete redemption collectively, like amongst your family, within your family. And yes, this is possible, possible with some in this circumstance that hasn't been the case. But again, it's about you and um, and how you've bounced back and how you've been restored personally. And as I backtrack, you brought up two years into your marriage, that moment where you had flashbacks and you felt something that you hadn't for a while and you didn't really understand it for one how old were you when you got married and then prior to getting married how much of your past had you exercised going into it i was 19 and a half years old when i got married and i would say my past prepared me for my marriage to fail and what i mean by that is I had not seen any healthy relationships mm-hmm. between a husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, no healthy relationships up until that point. Yeah. And I'm not blaming it totally on our, my past because he was a separate person, I was a separate person, and we were two separate people coming together as one, yeah. but we were two unhealed and not whole people. Yeah. I, from my that relationship, I don't believe a half and a half equals one. Yeah. One whole sure. person and one whole person equals one. Yeah, for it's sure. Like, that's the math we have to, to come to. Yeah. Um, and when I came to marriage, I came to marriage even years ago, not even realizing that it was that little girl that was getting married that was seeking that male protector. Yeah. So a part of me, buried deep, deep, deep down inside of me, I was looking for dad, as dysfunctional as it sounds, but looking for dad, but looking for that protector, that person that would always protect me, always have my best interests at heart and all of that. And because I, another dysfunction with that is, because I had not seen a healthy relationship, I kind of didn't even want to get a divorce after 23 years for a period of time it was like hey we're we could brag on the fact that we lasted five years 10 years 15 years 20 years and 23 years but it was dysfunctional yeah it was so dysfunctional Mm -hmm. it was so dysfunctional in the end but um yeah but a lot of my my childhood came right smack dab in the middle and it was during my marriage that I had to address issues of childhood if I could have a conversation with anyone today in marriage counseling one of the first things that I would ask would be pertaining to the child in each individual person how healthy is that child because I absolutely believe that the things that you experience in in your childhood that you do not address you absolutely in some way shape or form will face those same things or some people call them demons in your adult life but ultimately they have to be faced yeah so essentially that was terrible advice that your dad and aunt had given you as far as leave the past in the past mm-hmm. absolutely that's the worst thing they could have possibly told you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're right addressing the child addressing the former experiences and providing some context and then achieving the healing and it doesn't happen perfectly always right. prior to coming into marriage mm-hmm. I, I'd say Margot my wife and I, um, we came into it functional. We were mm-hmm. we were maybe seventy five to eighty percent a person, <laughs> and we came together. And then, fortunately, God's helped us with. He's continuing to help us with the other percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, um, having that conversation. But knowing to have that conversation is difficult for people that have experienced adversity, right? And that applies to my father as well your your ex-husband like he i know a little bit about his story you're aware of a bit of his story and he had extreme adverse circumstance Mm -hmm. as well that he faced and very little to any of it was exercised prior to Mm -hmm. marriage but there needs to be some 
deep soul searching when people come together. I mean, there needs to be like a questionnaire, 25 questions, yeah. um, and about 15 of those pertaining to, you know, your childhood. About the five per <laughs> pertaining to... 15 you know, to 70 <laughs> questions, maybe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> pertaining to childhood. And going back to my aunt and my father, who I did ask the questions what kind of child was I? Did anything happen? In order for them to um, answer those questions, they would have to be accountable for what they allowed to happen that they knew about yeah. and be responsible for it. So that was a great disappointment, knowing that they factor in some kind of way, but also realizing that at the end of the day, at that point in my life, they did not care to be a part of my healing because I also, they had healed. Yeah. There were so many things that they had experienced in their own childhood that they did the same thing that so many other generations before us. So you get married or you get together, you have kids and you, and you go on with the life. Yeah. Not really focusing on the quality quality of life, yeah. and I'm just so glad I'm now at a point where it's all it's all about quality, quality, quality. Yeah, it's about, absolutely. It's about the quality yeah. of life, living life, and not just existing. Absolutely, it's good. So you're married for 23 years, and obviously that ends in divorce. And I'm not sure if you can pinpoint a specific moment. Or circumstances can be within mar marriage, prior to, after, whatever the case. But like, when did you reach a peak of just adversity where you were almost, you know, taken aback by it? Like it, it, it came to a head. Mm -hmm. And what was that like for you? Okay, so I'm not necessarily going to go off script, but. Um not necessarily pertaining to the marriage, but there's a couple of things. One of the things that I, in my life, a peak of adversity, which it was one of the hardest decisions that I've had to make, was pertaining to your brother. Mm -hmm. And the the last time that I actually um, kicked him out of the apartment, I was going to, I was off this day, I'm going to Home Depot, living in Limit Grove, going to Home Depot on a quick errand. And as I come outside the gate, he's lying on the floor, on the ground, in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. So I, of course, wake him up, tell him go inside. I'm at Home Depot. Um totally just peed off because it's like here we go again mm -hmm. um, when I got back home I told him just get everything at that point he had been kicked out of the apartment complex he can no longer live with me but he was visiting me yeah. because of his behavior so told him get everything that he had take it and don't come back mm -hmm. I'm done I'm done done well he decides that he's going to threaten my life and at this point, I am ready. I've already made up my mind. One or two things is going to happen. Someone is going to go to jail today mm -hmm. or someone is going to die. Mm -hmm. And I was ready for whatever circumstances. But that was like the crescendo of my life with the growing up childhood, what I dealt with. Yeah. Marriage, what I dealt with. And yeah. not feeling validated giving my all and not being seen for giving my all and not just that but having a voice but feeling as if my voice hasn't been heard and it's like everything came together at one head where it was like I'm either going to proceed from this moment or it's going to end in this moment and it, he ended up leaving um, peacefully after he saw me with the pipe in my hand and I was really ready to go all at it. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, I had one of your aunts, Regina, she was on the phone and she's listening to it because I did not know um, I needed somebody to know if things went sideways. Yeah. 
this is what's happening. So he left peacefully, but I remember after he left, I cried, not because of the situation that I was in with my son, um, and it, it had come to that. I cried because I finally began to fight for the little girl. Yeah. In that moment, it was mine blowing yeah. but in that moment the little girl I was proud of that little girl who had fight still left yeah. in her because my goodness some of the things that have happened could have taken the wind out of some of the things that have happened in life could have just caused me just to stop living could have given up a long time ago but because of that little girl and realizing that all that I went through I was going through it for a reason for sure. Somebody else had to know the story, hear the story, and know that there's an other side of the story. So. Well, that's... <laughs> and that's obviously my brother that, you know, uh -huh. you had that exchange with. Um, and this is post-marriage. Yeah. And mm -hmm. at this point, the fight, I wouldn't say it starts because I don't think you make it to that point without having a fight. Um, but mm -hmm. it just takes... A different turn it re you reached a, a different or a foreign depth mm -hmm. within yourself as far as like what you're willing to do mm -hmm. to, to combat your not just adverse circumstances but like if there is in fact an adversary in front of you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like a person or being or whatever the case mm -hmm. and with post-marriage I think what made me so angry um, and that whole situation was, well, I was a parent who stayed. I was a parent who showed up for court dates. I was a parent who was crying out to God, saying, God, you've got to intervene. Do you yeah. save his life? Doing all of this. But I was a parent who received all of the anger. Yeah. And just as being the older sibling in the, the older female sibling, I was the one who had all of the responsibility. But to this day, I'm the one who's so different and who's been targeted because I'm so different. Yeah. Like, I embrace, I love being different. Yeah. But if I have a chance to have a conversation with each and every one of my siblings, I see the the great differences that God has put in all of them. And there's so much that we can all contribute to this world, but we don't because so many of us, like me, was hiding in fear and living and reliving the past. Yeah. And coming from the circumstance that all of you are in, it can kind of create the crab in a barrel mentality when mm -hmm. someone else is mm -hmm. succeeding or achieving healing and bearing some fruit as a result the others may see that fruit and not like the fact that they're not producing themselves and unfortunately i've seen a little bit of that and the family i may have experienced a little bit of that myself um but again it comes back to what we want for ourselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. obviously there is still a desire for family and yeah, hey, absolutely you know one day the goal is for them to potentially taste that fruit and be like hey how'd you do it and then mm -hmm. we can we can guide them through their process or support them through it. Mm -hmm. um, so you took that first step again and and fighting for yourself. That's how you responded to the adversity that you were experiencing in that moment. But like, what were maybe one or two steps that you took to really pursue healing for yourself? One of the the greatest things. So growing up as a child, I was labeled as fast. You know, hot in the past based upon um, past history and all of that mm -hmm. and because of that I remember feeling so unworthy of anyone loving me mm -hmm. and as a Christian I actually learned that one of the greatest strategies that the enemy uses is to make sure that the relationship between a mother and father or child is totally jacked up. Yep. Because if your relationship with your mother and father is jacked up or questionable or anything like that, it is absolutely going to cause you to question a relationship with your heavenly father. Absolutely. Yep. So one of um, the impactful moments that had happened, I remember driving to work. 
um, from Lemon Grove to El Cajon and I was listening to Israel and New Breed and uh, they have this song called Receive and it talks about receiving the love of God and I remember listening to every beat of the song as if it was my very own heartbeat. It was just a different morning that morning. Yeah. And I got off the freeway and I'm at the, the stoplight waiting for the light to turn so change so I can make my turn. And I remember the song had reached a crescendo and the next words were I receive your love. And I remember tears falling down my eyes because at a Toyota Camry and the light and the love of God physically mm-hmm. feel the car mm-hmm. I had never experienced anything like that before and when that happened the one thing that a lot of us a lot of people search for it happened God validated me yeah. God told me that I was worthy he told me that he loved me and ever since then I never ever questioned whether I'm worthy of love. Yeah. So awesome. that was a defining, impactful moment of my life. Yeah. Life changing, literally. Yeah. So honestly, it was recognizing the step that had already been taken mm-hmm. on God's part as mm-hmm. far as the affirmation and mm-hmm. the, the validation. Mm-hmm. It's big because it's not going to be found perfectly elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You can find something good. I think that uh, from my experience, <laughs> Margo's found something pretty decent myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I cannot perfectly affirm and validate her. I can't. It's not my. It's mm-hmm. not my job. Um, it's not in my power. But when the identity is found where it should be found in mm-hmm. its rightful place, it does. It changes lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. There's nothing like feeling secure in, in God's love. Yeah. It's huge. Um, and what is your current, what would you say your current understanding of adversity is? My current understanding of adversity? Yeah. It's natural. It, it, I've reached an age where adversity is a natural occurrence in life it is going to happen but the important thing is our response to it i'm at an age whereas if anything happens i my first thing is okay so if it happened okay god so you allowed it to happen you allowed it to happen for a reason Mm -hmm. um i no longer believe that god is cruel and does cruel things um life happens and life happens to us all but it's a matter of what your understanding is of life. And in adversity, are you an answer to the problem or are you a contributor to the problem? Hmm. You're, you're either one or the, the other. Yeah. There's no gray line to kind of Absolutely. walk. So yeah. you can choose to be um, an answer and sometimes in choosing to be an answer is also choosing to walk away from adversity. Yeah. Like when I think about some of the relationships with my um, siblings and having to choose to right now, tempor- and I believe it's temporarily, to walk away until they deem themselves healthy enough to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. They extend the olive branch. Mm-hmm. Until that happens, I know I'm healthy enough to to love me. Yeah. And I am my first priority. And that's big as far as whether you are an answer or contributing to. Mm-hmm. Because within our families, and our families are huge, and we emphasize families not just because of the context of the podcast as far as blended families, but it is more so because when adversity comes from family specifically it's just more impactful Mm -hmm. like we can experience that in random circumstances a flat tire even a car accident maybe we get injured or we have turmoil in our friendships and whatnot but Mm -hmm. when family is the source Mm -hmm. of our difficulties and our challenges mental emotional spiritual it just hits very differently Mm -hmm. it hits deeply 
and it can change us for as far as the impact of family it can change us for the extreme worse or the extreme better mm-hmm. um, however our response is is gigantic to the adversity and whatever that consists of right and the reason why family is so impactful you're not going to let a perfect stranger get close to your heart mm-hmm. only your family can get that close yeah to your your heart because I mean you love your family yeah. you know, dysfunctional not dysfunctional whatever it is yeah. but there's only certain people that you allow to get close enough to impact you to the point of influencing you and we also regarding adversity my thoughts are being allowed to live as long as I've lived a lot of adversity I now look at it okay this isn't gonna last that long yeah. okay it's a temporary situation Mm -hmm. but if I don't face it the right way I can make that adversity a permanent environment in which I live in and that is a much cruel reality and it's a cruel reality because when it comes to adversity it can oftentimes feel like being in a prison yeah but you have the keys to the prison Mm mm-hmm it's like you're you have taken yourself through the whole trial and you're the judge you're the jury you're the prosecutor and you lock your own self up but you actually have the keys to let your own self out if you face adversity the right way and see it as only temporary and not permanent yeah and you are i want to remind myself and the audience and it sounds it's so good it's so powerful but i want to remind us all that this is first-hand experience mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know if you've been listening for the last yeah. uh, 45 minutes or so but like this is the place that Marcel has arrived as a result of the choices that she's made obviously there has been much revelation from God, a strengthening of mm-hmm. that relationship, identity affirmed, but along the way there have been a ton of choices mm-hmm. that you've made. You've discerned the right path time and time again, and have you exercised discernment or made the wrong decision? Sure, but mm-hmm. afterwards you followed that up with what is best for yourself and what is in accordance with God's will for your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've also learned that if I do fail, instead of looking at that L as a loss, I now look at it as a lesson learned. Mm -hmm. So I can get back up with just a little bit more wisdom and I can make a different choice to get a different outcome. Yeah. I'm in control. Yeah. At the the end of the day, I am actually in control and I have a say so in my life. What happens and what doesn't happen. I can either live to live or I can live to die yeah yeah and what would you suggest uh, last thing for an individual that is or even a couple they are early in marriage 10 years deep whatever the case but they find themselves struggling maybe unbeknownst to them as a result of those little kids inside of them not having been healed or restored what would you suggest for them at this stage where there is whether a parent struggle or there is just a familiarity with dysfunction and therefore there's a misunderstanding as far as how to do relationship Hmm. well one of the things that i would say is you have to find your voice Going back to um, just putting it all in a, a nutshell, one of the things that I wasn't allowed to have was you have to find your voice mm-hmm. and you have to defend that little boy or that little girl respectfully. Um, but when you find your voice, know that you're not a mistake. You're mm-hmm. still here for a reason. You still have life to live. And you. one of the most important things is every voice that contradicts 
what God says that you are, you have to silence that. Because, I mean, not to get religious, but of course the Bible says that there are many voices. So you have your voice that you're listening to. You have uh, your peers that you're listening to. You have mentors or older people in your life or anyone who could have come into your life and made an impact. You have to silence the voices and uproot any seeds that disagree with your identity. But the important thing is you have to find out who you are. Mm Mm-hmm. There is absolutely greatness in each and every one of us because we are made in God's image and we're made in his likeness. And it will take all of your life to search it out, to seek it out, and to live it out. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, anyone who comes in your arena will be a better person because you're a better person. Yeah. So the greatest relationship that you can have, number one, is with yourself. Yeah. Number two is with God. Yeah. If you love you, everything else, you're cool with everything and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because as you love yourself, you love others. And know that you have something to contribute. There's so many people who are no longer here. God is allowing you to be here for a reason because you have something to contribute. And follow your dreams, follow your, pa- follow your passions, and absolutely follow your gifts. Yeah. That is good. That is wisdom from a a wise woman who is familiar with adversity, but she has chosen to redefine it for herself um, and functions in that, exists in that constantly. So good. Thank you for being on the podcast. This is potent stuff. You just heard about seven episodes in one. You're welcome. Take notes. Listen back. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you for blessing the listeners. And uh, absolutely, I appreciate you. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you heard something throughout the episode that could make all the difference. Please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of that blended goodness. Episodes are up and running on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Until then, do not settle for anything less than what's possible.